the suitcase from the van Cause if you want the best But you don't ask questions Then brother, I'm your man Cause where it all comes from is a mystery It's like the changing of the seasons And the tides of the sea But here's the one that's driving me berserk Why do only fools and horses work? La 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 Oh, shut up, you tart. A Bruchette, and welcome to a new episode of Only Goats and Horses with Bread Roll and JT. A la Bruchette, indeed, and that was one of my closing lines. Luckily, I've got a few more <laughs> lined up. <laughs> so, yeah, we're back again. Um, two weeks in a row, Bread Roll, since it's coming a bit of a habit now. We must stop this. Um, so, we're definitely nearing the end now. We're into the, what was known as the Christmas Trilogy. This is the first of the three. It's um, Heroes and Villains. It aired on the 25th of December 1996. It's a 60-minute episode, 21.3 million viewers on this one, Bread Roll. It was a 9pm uh, showing, so a bit later. A couple of the other ones have been sort of afternoon showings, but this was definitely prime time. Yeah, absolutely. And this is one of the ones, although I had seen some of the other ones here and there, this is one of the ones I remember specifically watching this trilogy. I was at um, so my dad's house for this Christmas, and we watched um, this trilogy as it sort of went along and everything. Um, yeah, really, really good numbers. And I suppose in the grand scheme of things, um, I think in 1996, you know, cable TV and Sky, that was obviously much bigger in the UK than it was obviously in the 80s and all that stuff. So there's much more competition. So no wonder I had a bit of a later kind of watershed, much more competition for prime time, really, wasn't it? Yeah, exactly. And there hadn't been a special in uh, 94. I mean, in 95, they just showed a repeat of Mother Nature's Son. So there hadn't been a Christmas special for a couple of years. So obviously, anticipation was was definitely growing for this one and it was supposed to just be a one-off um, and it could well have been the end of the trials obviously there was quite a big gap after the, the trilogy we're going to talk about over the next few weeks and John Sullivan basically said I can't end it all in a one-hour special so he managed to blag the three shows out of the BBC because he wouldn't have been able to get it all into one if it was going to be the last ever episode. Absolutely yeah and um, obviously I mentioned when we get there as we go for the synopsis and everything but um, you said before you know he, he wrote every episode as if it was going to be the last one and we said last week um the way it ended was a bit wank basically i mean if that was the last episode it was pretty poor but even this this first part of this trilogy the way this one ends i think um is actually not a bad ending on its own obviously we get a really good ending by the third one spoiler alert but obviously we get there in a few weeks time um but i think this one was much more on point compared to the last two that we've had it was, wasn't it? And strange, considering he knew there was going to be another two. They'd already been done or, you know, they're in the pipeline or whatever. Um, but, yeah, a bit weird that he had a proper ending for this one when he knew it wasn't going to be the end. But so many other ones, when he didn't, the endings were a bit lame. But there we go. Obviously, he knew what he was doing. I'm not going to say he didn't because he's written the best TV show of all time, as we say, week in, week out. A couple of little tidbits from the old lovely Jubbly book, my famous plug every week. I didn't write it, by the way. Um, it is the same actor playing Damien who we had from Fatal Extraction so they did keep him for for these two I think it moves on to obviously an older actor in the later episodes Um, and we we talked about Sid's calf last week it's Popeye's Diner in Bristol Brunel Lock Road in Bristol they used and they used it for the Fatal Extraction episode as well and I think they might have used it from here on in as we said last week yeah yeah because I think this um if I remember correctly I know it's a little way away but I swear we see this the inside of this calf um, in like Strangers on the Shore and a few others. So it must be, I'd say, that the ongoing interior. And it's a definite change, isn't it? I mean, like how grotty the other one was and one, it just looked like a really sort of knocked together set on the BBC. This one does actually, it's much bigger, it's much brighter and does look genuine. I thought it was, um, you said there, it's Popeye. I thought it might have been a little chef or something because obviously they were around back in the day, weren't they? Oh, little chef. I do remember those fondly. <laughs> yeah, they're, they're, their breakfast suits they were amazing. Um, and obviously, this has got the iconic Batman and Robin scene in it. And because there hadn't been a special for a couple of years, and obviously Only Fools was huge anyway, and then the anticipation had grown because it had been away for a couple of years, they really struggled. They had to get security to shut off the streets in Bristol while they filmed the Batman and Robin scenes because they didn't want the general public to know it was going to be, you know, the big reveal, the big surprise. And obviously social media, the internet, and that wasn't a big thing back then. So... It wasn't leaked, but nowadays you'd never get away with trying to hide that, would you? 
Now, of course, I was actually thinking that when I was watching it earlier. I was like, it's such a funny, it's iconic now, obviously, but back in the day, it would have been such a hilarious thing when it, you know, you first saw them doing it. But nowadays, like, TV shows are a nightmare. Like, whether you're a fan of them or not, but any big show, there's always people around taking pictures. There's leech. You pretty much know the entire plot and all the surprises before they've even finished bloody filming it these days, don't you? So it's really hard to watch a TV show and actually have a surprise or something unexpected happening. Yeah. Definitely. I mean, the latest one I remember was Ozark last year when that finished. Big fan of that. And I was a little bit late on watching the second part of season four for some reason. I can't remember why things got in the way. And I was so trying to avoid spoilers. And I managed to. But every time I opened my phone, there was something about it. I was like, quick, scroll away, scroll away. Obviously, that wasn't such a thing back then. And one sort of last little tidbit, um, Sherry Murphy plays one of the muggers in this, the, obviously the female mugger. Um, she went on to play Trisha Dingle in Emmerdale, amongst other things. So um, she had quite a good career. I think this was the second thing she'd ever done. And I, I quickly looked at a wiki page earlier and it says famous for playing, I think it's Dawn, the mugger in Only Fools and Horses. I thought, well, she's in it for about two minutes and you don't even hear her name. So I don't think that's what she's really famous for, but it comes up as one of the sort of main things she's done. Oh, I did recognise. I did think, you know, she must be from one of the soaps. I was thinking EastEnders maybe, but that's usually what I always think of because the one my mum used to watch the most like, when we were growing up, so I always remember it. But yeah, I knew she was in something like along those lines and everything. But yeah, she is recognisable, definitely. But yeah, like you say, she's on screen for about a minute. And I think she says like one line, like, let's get out of here. And that's about it. No, she walks up to Murray, doesn't she? And goes, have you seen any coppers around here? Oh yeah, that's no, it. Yeah, good. Yeah. And then she, yeah, I mean, that's pretty much all she says. But yeah, I mean, it's still on on her main wiki page. That that's what she's famous for. But there we go. She went on to marry Harry Kuehl as well, who's uh, an ex-Leeds footballer. Obviously, probably someone you've never heard of, but quite famous in footballing terms. Absolutely, yeah. No idea who he is. Um, you know, I'm not a football <laughs> man. But yeah, good little uh, tip out there. Hold on. <laughs> okay, then. So should we have a look at the synopsis on this one then, Brad? Right. Let's do it. Okay, pulled from the main wiki page. It's not actually... Um, that fleshed out so obviously we'll have to fill in the gaps which we tend to do anyway before we start as always big shout out to dan parkinson for the opening theme tune check out his podcast uh i've forgotten what it's called now stage right that's what it's called um <laughs> a weekly one goes out on fridays and new episodes about behind the scenes in the music business very interesting and um yeah well worth a listen cheers dan for the theme tune as well hopefully when we do our next thing we might be able to get him to do something for us again there but we'll see anyway let's have a look at the old synopsis then so, the episode opens with Rodney in a dystopian nightmare in which Damien, head of the now multinational Trotters Independent Traders, apparently rules the Western world in the year 2026, forcing President Keanu Reeves to declare war on China, <laughs> claiming that war is good. Delboy, who is now Lord of Peckham, and Raquel live in a lavish high-rise building Trotter Towers, but Rodney himself is merely an old messenger. Cassandra is a maid after Damien took after a bank and fired her, fired her even, and Uncle Albert's body has been preserved, and all he can say is his trademark phrase, during the war, in a constant loop. So that's the opening, it is fairly brief, but it's quite weird, isn't it? It kind of reminds me of the Terminator, the music and the sort of scenes with a cross with sort of cyberpunk. Yeah, yeah, it is weird, and um, I've got to be honest, I've never really liked the way this episode opens, I don't mind the look of it, like the dystopian look they do, it's that classic, like really old school, like the kind of almost like the dirty sci-fi tv shows and stuff used to get the stuff that was really cheap but i grew up watching like even like the sort of effects they'd use for like red dwarf and all that sort of shit but um yeah i know what you mean about the terminator bit and i did mean to look there's a sound effect and it's a very distinct sound effect um it's like a type noise but it sounds identical to a sound effect that was used in the alien trilogy game on playstation one back in the day and i'm just wondering if it's ever actually the same sound by because it sounds absolutely identical to what you have in the first level and Back then, obviously, those sort of things are probably just like, I don't know, like royalty-free sound effects because everything was so low budget. But I just always wondered if it was actually the same actual cue from that game. All right, I've never spotted that. I do remember the game. I remember liking it, but finding it incredibly hard like most games were back then. Um, yeah, it's weird, isn't it? Reading, reading that lovely jubbly book again, it says about, you know, the BBC gave John Sullivan a big budget. But there's one scene as well where it sort of cuts the Dell in Trotter Towers and you see this helicopter and then you see it sort of from the point in the window behind him and it just, you can tell it's a remote control helicopter, it's not real. Um, apparently they filmed it at Battersea Power Station, this whole bit, and they sort of did weird angles and sort of blank bits out so you couldn't see what it was. But I mean, 
in the grand scheme of things, I suppose it, it does look quite good. But I know what you mean. I'm, I've never really been a fan of it either. I mean, the billboards are quite funny. You see all the trotter things and you see trotter X, which is like Durex, isn't it? And like, I don't know about family planning and that. But yeah, it's never really worked for me. Obviously, it's a dream, but it's a strange opening. It is strange, yeah. And it's just, I don't know, it's just, there are parts of it that are quite funny. I mean, for starters, Rodney's dressed like a priest, but it's pink, so he looks like a pink wafer as he's like walking into the fucking place. And then, like, you got the guy, oh, I can't remember his name. He's the guy who wrote, like, the IT crowd and stuff, I think. Um, he went on to be quite a sort of comedy actor, but the guy playing Damien, he's weird because he's obviously using Del Boy's catchphrases, but he sounds like he's doing a Boise impression saying mm. Del Boy quotes. It's really weird the way he's speaking because he's like, Bonnie the douche. Yes, Bonnie the douche, you tart. <laughs> And it just sounds like someone doing like a mixture of impressions. Yeah, I know what you mean. His name's Douglas Hodge, and he was actually married to Tessa Pete Jones, um, Raquel, at the time of filming. Um, quite random. Um, yeah, he's he reminds me of um, Chris Barry uh, from Red Dwarf, previously mentioned, and also the British Empire. I don't know if you remember that. Oh, yeah. it just his mannerisms and his voice just—he reminds me of him. Yeah, yeah, I get what you mean. Yeah, he definitely does. Um, but yeah, yeah, I do like. I, I loved Red Dwarf growing up, and I did remember the British Empire as well. But uh, maybe we'll do a Red Dwarf one day. But yeah, I see what you mean. I do see the resemblance. Oh, Red Dwarf, yeah, that's one to uh, maybe think about. Bread roll. But one thing I will say that they've not done a bad job of aging the trotters. They don't look too bad. They look believably. I mean, uh, well, David Jason. I don't know how old he was when he did this, but they've obviously aged him a bit. And certainly Nicholas Lindhurst, they have. But they don't look too bad, and certainly believable. Yeah, yeah, absolutely. And one thing I thought that was funny, I mean, because Stranger Things have happened in the modern day and considering how popular he is, when he, he says like President Keanu Reeves, I was like, you know what, back in the day, I probably would have been a bit of a joke because he wasn't a big actor then. But considering how much people love him and the fact that they've had like Arnie as a governor and that, I mean, I don't think anyone would say no if Keanu Reeves threw his hat in the pot to be president. Well, he couldn't do much worse than the last couple, could he? So, yeah, why not give him a go, eh? <laughs> Let's not get into politics and obviously American politics particularly, but... Yeah, I mean, <laughs> they've had a few strange people there, haven't they? So, yeah, why not? <laughs> so, should we have a, look at, have a look at how it continues then, Fred Roll? Yeah, let's go for it. So, Rodney wakes up back in the present day on his birthday, on which he received an identity, an identity bracelet from Dale with the name Rooney. Dale's application for a council grant has been rejected, and Raquel receives a letter from her estranged parents who want to meet her again. It emerges that Rodney and Cassandra have been trying for a baby, which leads to an unsuspecting Uncle Albert drinking one of Cassandra's urine specimens, believing it to be apple juice. Meanwhile, Sid's calf, Trigger is telling everyone about a medal he received from the local council, using the same broom for 20 years, despite the fact that it's actually had 17 new heads and 14 new handles in that time. Dell buys himself a ticket for him and Rodney, sorry, Dell buys a ticket for him himself, himself and Rodney to attend the publican's fancy dress birthday party. Cassandra goes to Spain with her mother and Raquel and Damien visit her parents. So it's strange because that first little bit covered the first two or three minutes. And then this next bit covers about the next 20 minutes, really, um, pretty much up until the, the main crux of the episode. So a fair bit does happen in that bit there. Yeah, and a bit of Albert drinking the, uh, the juice doesn't happen until right at the end of that entire sequence as well. That is bloody funny the way it all comes about. And that. But the first thing that made me laugh is Rodney wakes up and you've got the Trotter's furniture always changes between seasons and he's got like wooden garden furniture with like tiger print fluffy cushions on it <laughs> and he wakes up and Dale comes over the rod he's like you've been smoking that Rastafarian old Hoburn again that's thought I was brilliant it's good I mean how many times does Dale say Rodney before he wakes up obviously he's saying it in his dream like Rodney Rodney Rodney, and then you get the fades. Rodney, 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 wake up, you dipstick. He says it about 20 times before Rodney does actually wake up. And then something we've had a few times in these sort of um, specials where there's been a gap between, or we've had at the start of the series when we've had sort of gaps, Dell sort of gives a bit of a synopsis of what's been going on, doesn't he, to sort of get you up to speed and what's been happening in the sort of gap we've had since the last episode. Yeah, and I quite like the way it does this because it seems mm. like you have the kind of like guesswork or like do long winded recaps. Or anything like previously on Only Fools and Horses or anything like say, he just does one of his amazing kind of Del Boy rants and it kind of lets you know where you're at. Um, there's a bit here as well, like they're talking like because Cassandra's still like riding Rodney, obviously trying to get pregnant and that, and they've got this weird routine that we touched on in the previous episode. And like Rodney's talking to Del about it and stuff, and it's like, oh, this this is top secret and everything. It's like, by now, have you not learned you can't confide in Dell and it won't be all over the nag's head by lunchtime? It's like, come on, man, it's been 20 plus years now or something. You should have learned your lesson. 
Yeah, exactly. And then don't forget, uh, pretend he, he forgets it's Rodney's birthday, doesn't he? He gives the whole Richard Branson spiel, or Branston, as he calls him, when Rodney asks for the afternoon off. And then he obviously gets the cards out. And the first one that uh, Rodney opens is from Damien. He looks genuinely scared when he opens it. And Dale says, oh, that was from Damien. And then he gets out the fucking chunky gold identity bracelet. 24 karat gold, no rubbish. And he gives it to him. And obviously Rodney looks at him and he's like, Rooney. <laughs> and he, walk, he walks into the living room. Raquel comes out. And it's a bit strange. She first sees the identity bracelet straight away and goes, Rooney, without even really looking at it. It's like, how did you fucking read it from there? And then she doesn't seem to know it's Rodney's birthday, which I find a bit strange. I mean, how long has she known him? Yeah, yeah, it's a bit weird. And you know Dale would have obviously been going on about it because he's pretending he doesn't remember it's Rodney's birthday at first, doesn't he? And then he sort of mm. surprises him, sort of, if you can call it that. But yeah, she would have known about it. And I remember those identity braces. I didn't have one, thankfully, but I do remember them. And the engraving was fucking rubbish. So yeah, at a glance, she would not have been able to see what that word was whatsoever because they were crap. Yeah, I do remember them as well. And then obviously Raquel... It's quite subtle the way John Sullivan does this, and it plays a big part when she sort of picks up the letter, looks at it, and Dale says, who's that from, I think. She says, I don't know, and she goes off with it. And you you don't think anything of it at all until obviously later on when she opens it and sees it's from her parents. But it's quite subtle the way he does that and quite clever. Yeah, yeah, it is really good. And one thing I thought is quite sad, actually, because obviously at the time we probably didn't realise it, but you mentioned obviously they did a good job of like ageing the trotters and stuff. But when Albert comes out, oh, Buster Merrifield actually... Because it has been a few years, like between episodes, he is starting to look a bit older in this one, isn't he? Obviously, it's his last. Um, this is last section. No, it's not. He does a few more, I think, um, episodes. But obviously, the trilogy and stuff. But this is coming to the end of um, Uncle Albert and him being in the show, isn't it? It is. I think. I think this is the end of him, isn't it? Because I think in um, Strangers on the Shores, when he's passed, and I think that'll be the ones after this. If I'm thinking of the running time, also. Jumping ahead a couple of episodes, it'll be Mike's last episode as well coming up. So we're going to yeah. say farewell to a couple of actors, um, sadly. But yeah, I mean, <laughs> talking of Albert, though, he comes out and he knows that um, Rodney and Cass are trying for a baby. He's overheard them. He's like, What's an ovum? <laughs> I love this. <laughs> <sister. laughs> yeah, it's brilliant. And we get a bit of a um, like a nod to an old episode, don't we? Because Delboy mentions, Oh, yeah, you've got to be careful and everything because there's like muggers on the estate, which obviously we meet later on with old Emmerdale and her crew. Um, and he's like, oh, they don't want to mess with me. I used to box for the Navy. And he starts doing all his like fucking crap again. Obviously, we know he doesn't quite box for the Navy because Knock Knock knocked him out a few episodes ago. <laughs> I've got exactly the same thing here. Yeah, it's good the way that John Sullivan does this. He does it often where he just makes little quips back to old episodes and things. And obviously, foresees stuff as well. So you forget about like the letter and things that happen in future episodes. Very clever writing, very subtle. But it's quite good, isn't it, when um, Dale, and Dale makes Rodney leave. He's like, come on, come on, we've got to go, we've got to go quick. And Rodney's like, what? What do you mean? And they sort of bust their ass to get out of the flat. And then suddenly Raquel's like, oh, no, not again. All those fucking Latvian alarm clocks go off. Yeah, that's mad, isn't it? <laughs> At least they're not the ones that ring all the fucking the dopey national anthems. <laughs> God, yeah. And then it's quite funny. It cuts, obviously, um, the Popeye's Cafe, Sid's Cafe. And he says he's got a fucking cigarette hanging out of his mouth. I mean, I know he's not the most hygienic, but would you buy something from him, even if he was your mate? I mean, it's pretty poor. We've had hairs in his porridge and stuff, and you can see why. Yeah, and I'm thinking this is like 1996 now. Surely he would have been locked up by now for like food poisoning, like murdering like, his customers. But yeah, you're right. I wouldn't buy anything. I've seen people like, remember the old, um, at the market, she had the old like greasy burger bands and that. I've mm. seen people in there more hygienic than what he looks like, but it's still quite funny. But I was thinking, is like it cuts to it and um, triggers in there uh, with Denzel and Boise. And obviously, Boise's such a snob and everything. It's like, why is he eating in Sid's cafe? Surely, like we said before, like when he went to the Chinese that time, it's like quite a bit of a kind of a dive Chinese bar. Like, surely being as snobby as he is, it would be like below him to go and eat or go somewhere like that. That's a good shout, actually. Yeah, because he's obviously. He's quite snobbish in this episode in a couple of scenes. Um, he says, obviously, in, in this scene, in fact, when he sort of winds Dell up and he says, oh, I just want to know what it would be like to apply for a council grant and sort of does a... So he's been a complete snob. So, yeah, he would be totally out of his comfort zone in Sid's calf. You're right. I mean, unless he just goes there to see his mates. But, again, you use the words mates in inverted commas because although he... He hangs out with them and stuff. He fucking, I wouldn't say he doesn't like them, but he's always fucking taking the piss out of them, being horrible to them, isn't he? Yeah, yeah, he is. Maybe that's why he goes there, because he knows he can go there and just like lord it over them, basically, and they won't really give him too much of a hard time. Like, the only one who will really snap back on him is uh, Dell, isn't it, really? Yeah, Dell was just put up with him, intrigued. 
bless him, he was too dense anyway, isn't he? <laughs> he pulls out that picture, and obviously we get the great story of the broom. <laughs> He's like, there's a picture of me and Councillor Murray. See, that's me. And points to himself. And everyone's like, oh, yeah, thanks, Trigger. I wouldn't have known. Just the little subtle touches. And obviously the, the broom story is a classic that probably everyone knows, but it's just so good. And only really Trigger and Roger Lloyd Pack to pull that off. Yeah, no, he delivers it so well. And there's there's a bit at the end of it as well that I'd forgotten about, but it is fucking brilliant because he's like, I've had it 20 years. It's a long time, isn't it, Dave? Yeah, it's two decades. Well, I wouldn't go that far. I mean, that's <laughs> fucking brilliant. <laughs> yes, excellent. He's like, yeah, and um, we've got this saying, look after your broom. And Rodney's like, what? And then your broom will look after you. No, Dave, just look after your broom. Again, it's just so deadpan. Yeah, it's like, you know, how can it be the same broom? Have you actually swept anything? Yeah, but I've maintained it. He's had 14 new head and 16 new handles over the years or something. It's like, well, how is it the same broom? Well, there's a picture of it. What more do you want? Because, <laughs> like, Sid pops up and asks, doesn't he? He's like, how can it be the same broom? He just sort of appears from nowhere, unless he's listening from behind the counter. But he'd be quite far away. He just sort of does a close-up of Sid that he just sort of appears behind Trig, I guess. Yeah, it's just been like waiting behind the like the seat or something. He listens to the whole conversation, ready for his line. Yeah, and then when it does cut to the flat, and obviously now Raquel's on the phone to her parents, so obviously that's where the letter came from. So the little subtle sort of cut there, and Dale seems genuinely upset because at first, obviously, he thinks she's on the phone to an ex-partner. I'm thinking, does he think it's Slater? Because she's like, of course, I still love you, and obviously talked about meeting up, but it's to her parents. But Dale doesn't know that at the point. So I was thinking. Only came into my head today. Does he does he think she's talking to Slater? I guess he would have done. Well, yeah. I mean, I don't know. I don't know. I mean, they hate Slater, but yeah, like you say, it could have been anyone. But I thought it was a bit strange, I, mainly because we watched them near enough back to back because they're actually on schedule at the moment, as you mentioned at the start. But going from like what the storyline was like last time, like how snappy Raquel was at him, and then he, you know, split up with her, and they were like just literally fell apart within the blink of an eye, which felt really uncharacteristic. And now coming here, like you say, like he seems really upset. And when she says, oh, that was my parents. And he's like, David, Jason's acting is brilliant. For a second, he actually sounds like he's about to cry. Then he goes, oh, it's your parents. And it's like his voice is crackling. And he, and this is like the Dell and Raquel we know. Like he really loves and is beside with Raquel, which makes last episode, obviously, of Fatal Extraction, which would have been a few years ago, technically, um, just seem, again, even more out of sync with obviously the way these two are of each other. It really does. It's a good episode, Fatal Extractions, we talked about last week. And if you haven't heard it, please go back and listen to it. Um, but yeah, it's very out of character and out of sync with the, everything else that's been going on. Um, maybe that's why there was a two-year gap. Who knows? But yeah, his relief, though, like you say, when he when she says that it was my parents, he's oh, your parents? Oh, I didn't know you had a mum and dad. And it, yeah, there's genuine <laughs> emotion there in David Jason's voice. It's very, very good. And then it is that for that line there when he's like, I didn't know you had a mum and dad. Oh, wait, well, I knew you had a mum and dad and stuff. It's just again, it's just typical Dell, isn't it? It's brilliant. Yeah, it is. And then uh, the answer machine, obviously, she said they've been trying to leave a message. And I, at first, I thought, oh, was that the one that Beverly swapped with her? And then a couple of minutes later, Dell actually says, That's the last time I buy something off that bloody Ronnie Nelson. So it wasn't Beverly's answer machine. I thought that was another little hark back to the last episode, but it actually wasn't. Yeah, yeah, that's a good show. Actually, I didn't clock that one straight away, but yeah, yeah, you're absolutely right. And that answer machine plays a, a bit of a part throughout this episode, doesn't it? On several occasions, it gets uh, referenced and mentioned. Yeah, it does. And I noticed that um, Rodney's Save the Whales um, charity thing in the background, that's still around, although he doesn't actually, well, we don't see him ever use it again, but it's there in the background. <laughs> when Raquel says, obviously, um, you know, my parents want to know about Damien and everything, Dale's like, oh, did you tell them about me? And she's like, well, I, I mentioned you. <laughs> so, oh, did you tell him what I did? Oh, no, I didn't have time. They just wanted to know about Damien. Dale's like, oh, okay. So he kind of clocks, you know, I think he knows deep down that, I mean, he says a bit later on in the episode that he, he admits that she didn't want him to go because she'd find him embarrassing. But I think he knows deep down he's not everyone's cup of tea, doesn't he? Yeah, and I think, again, like he doesn't want to push it too much because he obviously he's only just found out, like, obviously, he knows Raquel is a bit strange from her parents and everything, and he doesn't really want to push it too far. But then, as we find out again later in the episode, he does suddenly come up with a, an, another agenda for not wanting to go as well, doesn't he? He certainly does. He tells Raquel to take the cap for a year so your parents can see how you've done all right for yourself. <laughs> I mean, we don't, I don't know if we ever see the, the Capri again, do we? But obviously, when we last saw it, it wasn't in the best condition, was it, even after Rodney had cleaned it? Yeah, yeah, it's not a, well, this wasn't the best car in general, was it? It looks like the fucking Joker had had a go at it. It just looks horrendous. 
it does. And Damien obviously comes out and says, he has got a good line in this when um, he says, our oh, mum was crying. And he's like, oh, okay, what was that about? Oh, about, um, he was talking to Nanny and Grandad. Oh, I ain't got a Nanny and Grandad. Yeah, you have. What, did you get him for me? And that's actually quite a good <laughs> line from Damien. Yeah, it's typical. It's, like, it's almost as good as Boyce. He's like, I know where there's a baby going. What? Knocked off. <laughs> yeah it is and then we cut to Rod and uh, Cass and they've got the fucking pet rabbit which I don't think we ever see again do we it's just there in a cage and that's why um, Rodney comes up with the excuse that he can't really go anywhere because um, you know we need to find someone to look after the rabbit and there's I wouldn't say it's un-PC but then when Cass says oh can we not get someone to look after it and put it into a rabbit tree he's like a rabbit tree that's like Chinese for a toilet and it? it's a little bit un-PC isn't it yeah, it is a bit. Um, but again, we, as we said before, like back in those days, it probably wasn't thought of. And they did have that conversation back when Rodney was wearing his stupid ponytail a few weeks ago um, yeah. about like all the different pets they could get. But I thought, I mean, I've never had a rabbit. I've had like, guinea pigs and bits and pieces. But I'm like, rabbits grow, they're fairly large animals. And that cage doesn't look too big. So what, do they just keep it in that cage and they're flat all the time? Or do they actually let it out? It just seemed like random rabbit. And like you say, we never actually uh, we see it again, do we? No, we don't. I mean, it's a bit strange as well because Cass said obviously she wanted a dog. Rodney didn't because he got bitten a hundred times. It's just the cat. No, she's allergic. Then he said about a hamster and that. I mean, a rabbit kind of falls in between a cat and a hamster, I guess. Um, but yeah, I just thought it's a bit strange that now suddenly they've got this rabbit and we never see it again. But there we are. There it is in the cage. And like you say, it's quite a small cage as well. So um, hopefully they do let it out because, you know, I don't want to think it's cooped up like that. Probably thinking a bit too much into it. But Rodney, do, Rodney does seem quite happy, though, obviously, when Cass says that, you know, well, he realises he can't go with her and everything. He, the look of relief on his face. But Cass has got quite a good line in this, isn't it? When Rodney's obviously worried about you know, having it off for want of a better phrase, in front of her, well, not in front of her parents, but with the parents in the villa before he realises he can't go. And he's like, you know, all that panting and screaming, and yes, yes, yes. Cass's like, well, you just have to control yourself, won't you? It's quite a good comeback from her. Yeah, absolutely. And I do like, that's, you know, return to sort of like Cassie's kind of um, sense of humour, because she's kind of just been a bit of a bit player and a lot over the last few episodes and everything, considering how important she was when she first came into it. So, it is good to see that sort of comedy back. And the way Rodney just kind of nods along going, yeah, yeah, you're right, sort of thing. So he's not even arguing the point. But I do like the fact that, like, he's moaning about his schedule and everything, but it's his birthday, and it's like, you're moaning about getting some on your birthday, mate. What's wrong with you? No, exactly. I mean, some people will be fucking, like you say, well happy for that. But, yeah, I mean, <laughs> <laughs> like he says in the opening, well, in the opening scenes, you know, what about singing the triviata, but you don't want to do it three times a night or whatever. <laughs> but... <laughs> yeah, I mean, you know, but he, he seems a bit pissed off for things that most blokes would be crying out for. But there we go. Anyway, let's not go too much into that before we uh, dig a massive rabbit hole for ourselves. But when we cut to the to the nag's head and Trigg's bought a bloody ticket for the, the ball, he doesn't even know what it's for, does he? And he's like, oh, it was say on the ticket. Yeah, yeah, that's brilliant, that bit, isn't it? It's like 10 quid each. Yeah, I'll buy one. You don't even know what it is. But it will say it on the ticket. It's fucking... Trig's amazing in this one. He's got so many, like, casual, brilliant lines, but then, obviously, that's just Trig all around, isn't it, really? He certainly has, but it's something a bit strange in this. Obviously, he's been going on about this bloody medal, and then Marlene's at the bar randomly while Boise and Denzel and I sat at the table. So, And he's like, um, oh, did you? Did I tell you about the um, the medal I've got? And Marlene's like, yeah, you faxed us about it last night. I'm like, it's a bit strange. I mean, Trig would probably know how to use a fax machine anyway because we know what he's like. And also, he's been telling Boise about it all day in the cafe anyway. Why would he fax him about it as well? Exactly. Yeah, not being funny, he probably would have bought this uh, fax machine from Del Boy, so it wouldn't work in the first place. <laughs> yeah, it's probably one of the ones he um he had with the Slater episode, isn't it? And yeah. speaking of Dale, he comes in and he orders a bloody Bailey's and Cherry Aid, doesn't he? He does, doesn't he? <laughs> that would curdle and be so fucking vile. But he walks in and the first thing he does is squeeze Marlene's ass, and then we get a shit of Boise <laughs> looking over his magazine of his cigar sticking out, and he just looks so fucking sour. <laughs> he does. You can't really blame him, can you? And then obviously. Um, uh, Boise, Boise, uh, Mike asked Dale if he wants some uh, beef. I think it's beef stew, isn't it? And he says, Yeah, okay. And then Rodney says, Oh, you know, you've got to be careful with beef. This would have been around the time of mad cow disease, I guess. I remember when that was a fucking thing, everyone was going crazy about it. And then Trigg obviously pipes up in the background, Oh, nothing wrong with British beef. I've been eating it all my life. And Dale just turns and goes, Egg and chips, please, Michael, which is a great line. But then I'm thinking, Mike goes off, and who does the cooking in the nag's head? Because Mike's obviously seems to be the only person behind the bar at this point. And then about 
A minute later, he comes on with Delboy's egg and chips, so he's pretty bloody quick on that. Yeah, I've actually got the same thing on my notes there about the mad cow disease, because that was like all the rage on it. There's a massive craze going on about that. But yeah, because back in the day, like in the earlier episodes, there always used to be like one or two like noticeable barmaids, like Nervous Neris and stuff, who were kind of like, would have some lines and be in there. But like I say, these days, it's just Mike. He's the only person who seems to do anything and after time. He's just hanging about chatting. He's not even pouring any drinks, is he? Yeah, exactly. I mean, yeah, we had Nervous Nervous. We had Maureen, who was in a lot of episodes, wasn't she? She was in a good couple of series, I think. She was sort of spanned. But yeah, now it just seems to be Mike. I mean, at one point in this, he does say, oh, I don't get a lot of trade, but I do have a laugh. I mean, the only people that seem to be in there these days are the regulars, whereas before you had sort of quite a few people milling about in the background, a few extras. But now it just seems to be the main cast, doesn't it? Yeah, and this is where they're all sat around the table and I'm Again, it's the timing, isn't it? We've had it before a couple of times with the um the pork pie and everything. But um, Rodney's talking about like um Cass's specimen, and he says, "Oh yeah, I've got to take our specimen down right as everyone's about to take a bite of their food, and they will just put their forks down." It's like, oh, forget it. <laughs> it's a good line as well, isn't it? When they're talking about the the previous um bar uh, barman's ball, a landlord's ball, and they say, "Oh, the last one ended up in a fight." Yeah, and uh, Marlene got involved. Was it then? Is it Denzel who says, Well, didn't you do anything? Well, how could I? She threw the first punch, and then something up a little a couple more lines, and he's like, Oh, but fortunately, the uh, her makeup cushioned the blow because she got a whack on the nose or something. Did she say, Yeah, <laughs> he's such a, he's an evil prick, and he's actually dressed like quite villainous in this one as well. Cause he's got like a dark red, uh, sort of like um, shirt, and he's got like a really sort of like dark charcoal suit and everything. He does actually look like a bit of a villain this time. He does, doesn't he? Yeah, I thought that. He does look a bit sinister, doesn't he? But it's, it cuts back to the flat after the little nags head scene there. And Raquel's only been gone about two minutes an hour. He's already moaning there's no food in the bloody house. But like, shouldn't he go out and get some? Yeah, it was his job to go and get the fish fingers back in the day. So he should uh, get back to his old hobbies. <laughs> yeah. And then obviously we get the scene here. Dale's not in the room at this point And Rodney admits to Albert he doesn't like that bracelet. I mean, it's not exactly a secret, is it? The only person he doesn't know is Dale. And then Albert spins the story about his mate who got mugged in Portsmouth because he was flashing this watch about. He's like, oh, you know, I'm not going to, I'm not thinking that's a viable option. And then Dell comes out and Rodney's about to tell him, isn't he, that he doesn't like the bracelet. But then Dell gives him this sob story about Raquel being away and everything and didn't want him to go. And this is when he admits that she might be embarrassed of him. And then Rodney, bless him, he, he can't bring him to tell him, can he, that he doesn't like the bracelet. He's like, oh, that bracelet, yeah, yeah. It's really nice, Dell. Yeah, yeah, it's good, isn't it? And I do like, um, we get a bit as well in the minute of uh, Dell properly manipulating Rodney as well. Um, yeah. And the camera angle was amazing. It's like the camera's facing Dell and you can see his sort of face and he's smiling and he knows he's got Rodney on the line and Rodney's just like, oh, sorry, Dell, and all that sort of stuff. Because uh, Rodney accuses him, and quite rightfully so, that he planned all the stuff to go to this ball and buy the tickets and all that sort of stuff. And he's like, that hurts, Rodney. You think I would do that? I can't believe you thought that of me. And when he turns around, he's got this big fucking like grin on his face. It's brilliant. It's great the way David Jason plays with the camera, and I'm assuming the audience as well. Yeah, really, really good. But the bit where Albert drinks the apple juice, I mean, well, the, the wee, it is quite funny, but I find David Jason's acting a little bit over the top here because when Albert comes out, oh, that apple juice is bloody horrible after he you know, spouts off that from going tits up after Raquel's been gone two minutes. And then Rodney sort of looks and runs into the kitchen, comes back out, and he's like, oh, I don't believe it. And David Jason does a bit of sort of like, acting doesn't he like just sort of physical acting but the way he's sort of like doing the motions that albert drank it i just find it a little bit over the top yeah yeah definitely it's almost like pantomime acting isn't it like the way he like sort of spits out his cigar and does the elaborate head shake and then you say the hands like doing the whole pointing and then the the sort of drink tip sort of thing yeah it is a bit ridiculous but it is a funny line so i just like the way they don't really pay attention at first like he comes out moaning, like he says, oh, no, apple juice is horrible, wanders off, and they're reading their magazines, and suddenly Rodney looks up with his sort of delayed reaction, and that bit's really good. But yeah, like you say, David Jason's sort of like over-the-top head shake, and it's a little bit far-fetched. Yeah, I do like the bit where he's like, um, oh, my God, what am I going to tell Cass? And Dale's like, oh, just tell her that, you know, who's in the van, you drove around the corner and you spilled it. Oh, no, I can't lie to her. We'll tell her that Albert Uncle Albert bloody drank it then. That's quite good. Yeah, because Lindhurst does his proper like high pitch. He's like, I can't tell her that. <laughs> yeah, so let's have a look at um the classic part of this episode, really. So at Dale's request, he and Rodney go to the party dressed as Batman and Robin, respectively. But their reliant regal van breaks down halfway there, and they have to run the rest of the way. 
En route, they interrupt an attempt to mug Councillor Murray, emerging from the fog dressed as Batman and Robin, which scares away the thugs. Dale and Rodney arrive at the party, unaware that the publican, Harry Malcolm, had in fact died the day before, and the fancy dress has thus been cancelled in favour of a wake, a fact that Boise, who met them in the doorway, forgot to mention. They burst into the main room, humming the Batman theme tune. I wouldn't say they were humming it, they're more singing it and shouting it. But anyway, I mean, that's the crux of the episode there. But one thing I've always thought, they're driving around London, it's supposed to be half ten, as Rodney says, when they break down. There's literally no one around, like no one. This is London. And yeah, it was 25 years ago, but there still would have been a fuckload of people about. Yes, yeah, it's, it's ridiculous, isn't it? And I was thinking, like, there's more recognisable shops on the high street in the shot that we have here than there are these days. Obviously, the high streets all just look like bloody ghost towns now. But it might be, as you said at the start, they had to shut down all the streets and everything to shoot this scene to keep it a secret. So maybe they just, it's like a sort of shooting error. They shot this because the streets were empty and they could film it. Um, yeah. But obviously couldn't have, they didn't, even, they didn't even bother getting like extras or anything on set to sort of walk around and make it look natural. Because they're like, because even in the dialogue, it's like, oh yeah, I'd be chucking out time soon. And I'm thinking even in London, chucking out time won't make a difference because usually about a thousand people everywhere. Yeah, exactly. I mean, you're probably right there. They probably didn't even want to risk having extras milling about because they might have spilled the beans. I mean, this was filmed in November, I think I've read. So there was a month between this being filmed and going out, which seems to be about right with these episodes now. So, yeah, they probably, I mean, it was filmed pretty quickly, but they had quite a tight schedule to film this bit without giving anything away. So maybe it was just a case of we can't get extras in. We don't want to risk it. We haven't got time, blah, blah, blah. Let's just film it as quick as possible. Yeah, it doesn't ring true. There's no one about, but it is one of the most memorable scenes. We get the first little glimpse when the van door opens after they break down. And Dale's legs come out and he's wearing the fucking Batman costume. Then we get the full shot of Dale wearing it. And then Rodney just pops his head out with a fucking Robin mask on. It's great because, like you say, it's sort of like the reveal of the feet and then the body. But then Rodney sort of comes out and you see he's got the kind of like the eye sort of like mask on. And we see like the sort of the tunic. And then when he stands up, he's got like these massive green wife fronts up to his fucking nipples and his big skinny little legs and his fucking tights it's fucking brilliant but one thing that made me laugh as well is like typical Del boy he's got his batman suit on but he's still got his fucking watch and his jewelry over the top of it hasn't he you don't see like fucking batman walk around with his fucking argos jewelry sticking out over his fucking cuffs do you i do and Del was playing him and then he's using his bloody lighter to see if any petrol's coming through the yes. carburetor in the fan. And Rodney's like what are you doing he's like that's right there isn't any petrol coming through is there but obviously he wouldn't have known that at the time I'd say you wouldn't be around long enough to know if there was if it fucking was coming out. Well, no, exactly. And then, obviously, they get back in the van. They have a bit of a chat. Rodney wants to obviously call the RAC. And Dale's like, oh, yeah, let's just call him and ask for the couple of Pratt's dresses, Batman and Robin department or whatever. And then Rodney sort of gives in fairly easily to the fact they're going to go to Harry's place when Dale spins the, you know, they just go there. It's quicker to go there than it is to go back to the flat. Fair enough. But. They just get out of the van and what they do, just leave it in the middle of the street because we never hear about the van getting picked up or anything. That's never mentioned again. So they just leave it there in the middle of the street. Exactly. Not being funny. I mean, I know it's done for comedy effect and that, but people walk around London dressed as Batman and Robin is probably one of the least strangest things you'd see if you ever went to fucking London. So I doubt it would even matter too much. Well, I went through London last night coming back up here from Hampshire. I mean, I didn't see Batman and Robin, but... Like you say, I'm pretty sure if there were people dressed as Batman and Robin on the tube and that, no one bat an eyelid. I mean, you can pretty much do anything in London, even back then, I'm sure. But obviously it cuts to Councillor Murray. She's leaving the office and um, it's a pretty poor attempt at mugging, isn't it? Old Sherry Murphy comes up, asks if she's seen a copper. No, I haven't. Oh, good. And then there's about four of them trying to fucking get around bag and they're making a pretty shit effort of it. Yeah, and I'm thinking if she's a counsellor, she's a counsellor and stuff, but like this car park's a right shitty one, isn't it? I mean, right in some back street, it doesn't look like it belongs to a council office. It is just like tucked away. And like you say, they are the world's worst muggers because about four of them and they can't even take a handbag. Not that I can do mugging or anything like that. No, not at all. But I, but I do think I did see it on the internet and it made me laugh. But fucking Councillor Murray looks like Bruno Mars, doesn't she? <laughs> I've got the same thing here. Yeah, I saw that as well. But when it did this sort of likeness, the picture of the two of them together, it fucking does, doesn't she? It's quite scary. Yeah. <laughs> I mean, the way this builds up, and maybe it was, yeah. I mean, who knows? I mean, you know, stranger things have happened. But um, this bit here, the way it builds up, to obviously the reveal of Batman and Robot, Rodney and Dell running through the smoke, even though I've seen it a thousand times, it's still brilliantly done. The way it's like, wait, what's that? What do you mean? That coming through the fog, and then um, Councillor Murray or Bruno Mars or whatever turns around and says, like, 
oh my god and then the music kicks in and you just see those two running through the smoke it's fucking comedy genius i love it yeah it is and i was reading the book earlier and that was dry ice and that they use and i think david jason questioned it and they're like no no it'll look really good don't worry and it does look really good i mean it's a classic thing isn't it and it was obviously um a cover of the batman theme tune they used and luckily that they're still allowed to keep it in the episode now because it would be really shit if they didn't have licensing for that and had to take it out which just wouldn't have worked yeah because it is brilliant isn't it it's the old like adam west 60s one as well which is obviously mm. the costumes they're using as well i don't think it worked if they came out with the tim burton one that would have been around or the popular batman at the time but yeah it's just fucking brilliant and then the, the bit that cracks me up the most though is like he stops he's like, oh oh councillor murray because of the robbers like oh my god we got to get out of here and they just sort of run off and he stops to talk to him and ronnie's like Dale, and he sort of like punches into like puts his fist into his hand like let's go in this really weird voice and it's like, fucking out this is ridiculous does it Dale turn around to him and go, I've got to go. Duty calls or something, and off he goes. <laughs> One thing, though, I, they turn up at the, the party, and Boise's being a bigger dick than ever, like when he doesn't tell them what's going on. I mean, it's not just being a dick to Dale at this point. It's being a dick to Harry's widow and, you know, all the mourners there. But that wake's a bit fucking sudden, isn't it? He only died the day before. Yeah, yeah, that's what I was thinking. It's really strange as well. Cause like you say, they come in, and they've just been running all the way through fucking London, but they're not out of breath when they come through the door. But when he stopped to try and speak to um, uh, Murray, he was like, oh, oh, I Murray, it's Del Trotter and sort of like, and then he sort of gets run off and everything. But they come in and they're absolutely fine. But then we, like I say, Boise is a bit of a dick in general here because, like I say, it's not just Del and Rodney. He's obviously, he doesn't really care about them. But to do that to the people who are obviously grieving, lost, you know, someone who died yesterday is a bit harsh. But I do like his line when it's like, oh, look, we've come as Batman and Robin. Boise's come is um the penguin. It's like now, now, not the penguin, more like the Joker. Yeah, it's good, isn't it? But yeah, I just thought that's a bit soon to have a wake the day after he's died. Obviously, the party was already arranged. You thought they'd have cancelled it rather than turn it into a wake because Dale and Rodney didn't get the message because the answer machine's broken, playing on what we was, we've said earlier. But they wouldn't have been able to get the message round to everyone. I wouldn't have thought in a day, particularly back then when there wasn't you know, social media and shit, you wouldn't be able to put the message out, would you really? Yeah, yeah, it's just just strange, isn't it? And there's some sketchy characters in this um, way, because they obviously come bursting through the door, like, going, dan, 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 spraying their fucking silly string around. But I was, like, looking around the room, and I was like, all right, yeah, there's a few people here that look natural, but in the back corner, there's, like, two extras from Lockstock, like, these proper, like, bouncer-looking geezers yeah. with leather jackets, and they've got, like, fucking sunglasses on. And it's like, well, it's gone half ten, um, and you're awake, dressed like you're fucking the Mitchell brothers or something. It just looks really, really weird. It's strange you say that because I looked as well. I was looking for people you might recognise, and I, I clocked them as well. They definitely looked about a place wearing their sunglasses and that. But there's a great bit of timing here, though, isn't it? <laughs> Obviously, they come in and they blast off the city string while they're um na 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 na, and then Boyce is like, "Dale boy." Harry died yesterday, and he's like, he d- d- died, and he presses the silly string, and it goes into the widow's hair. It's just fucking brilliant timing, <laughs> isn't it? It just yes. again adds to the comedy. You got that sort of solemn moment. Oh, he died, and then the silly string fires off, and it just brings it back up again. Typical John Sullivan style. Yeah, yeah, it's brilliant. And then Boyce is like, oh, sorry, I should have told you, but uh, you know what grief can do. <laughs> he does this fucking laugh, and he just like, <laughs> and just walks off again. It's exactly the same thing he did at Granddad's funeral, isn't it? When he tells a joke to yeah. Mike and then starts laughing, and then he sort of goes, <laughs> he does exactly the same thing there. But and then we cut to um, Trigg, who's in the kitchen. He's like, Oh, didn't you know about um, Harry dying? Well, no, obviously, no, neither did I. But, but you're dressed in a suit, you know, I've come as a chauffeur, I feel a bit stupid now. Yeah. <laughs> oh, don't worry, Trigg, I doubt anyone would notice. And what's he say? Dale goes, Oh, I'm going to go and cheer up the widow. And Trigg turns around and goes, I don't think you'd have won first prize, Dave. No, I mean, Dell's all right, but you look nothing like Tonto. <laughs> <Yeah>. Classic <laughs> trig, isn't it? So let's have a look at how it wraps up then, Brad Rob. So Dell and Rodney are in the market the next day and they see the gang of thieves again, this time robbing an elderly woman. Rodney gives chase before one of the muggers then starts chasing him. Dell eventually knocks the mugger unconscious with his suitcase. Dell, though not Rodney, much to his frustration, receives a medal for apprehending the gang. While at the award ceremony, he meets Councillor Murray again, who offers to do him a favour in return for faving, uh, saving her even. That night, Dell announces that his application for a council grant has now been approved, and Rodney reveals that Cassandra is pregnant. 
So that's sort of the last couple of minutes of the episode. And it's another, again, not condoning mugging, but it's another crap attempt at mugging that old lady. And it's in fucking broad daylight this time. It's pretty sad, really. Well, it's stupid, isn't it? And you'd like to think that a few people in the market, especially, obviously, probably some not shady characters, but people like Dell and everything a bit closer would have turned around and just like walloped one of the muggers and stuff. I'd like to think that even in this day and age, if someone was mugging an old lady in broad daylight, someone would go over and fucking grab them or clout them or something. It's a bit ridiculous. You'd like to think so, but these day and age, unfortunately, probably get their phones out and stick it on Instagram or fucking TikTok or something, because that's the way yeah, the world true, is. Yeah. But <laughs> the old fucking woman as well, I mean, it's quite funny, but the way she's like, oh, my bloody arse hurts as well. <laughs> it kind of, it's funny, but it also winds me up at the same time, that line. I don't know why. No, it's, it's a bit silly, isn't it? But it's good, because I always like the market scenes when they're selling stuff, because he's got the fucking... Was it the rider's helmets that he's spray painted red? So he's trying to sell them as like crash helmets for like bikes and all that sort of stuff, isn't he? Um, but then yeah. we get this like weird chase scene where Dell he goes chasing off after the um robbers, but why does he carry his suitcase? I mean, one, it's the size of a fucking car in the first place, this bloody suitcase. He's like lugging it around as he's chasing him, and we've got this cheesy ass music playing. It's like ding 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 ding. It's almost like the Batman music just like tuned right down. I've got the same thing here about the music. Do 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 and yeah, exactly that. Why has Dell got the suitcase? And also, Dell sort of sees him running. He's sort of on the adjacent sort of streets and he sees him running, shakes his head. And then somehow he manages to get ahead of them both and knock the guy out with the suitcase. It's so fucking badly shot the way he runs into it. Yeah, yeah, it's crap. It's like a fucking like a Saturday morning cartoon, like Acme type thing, isn't it? All you need is like little birds going around his head after he's run into it and it'll be there. <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit fucking stupid, but it's quite funny. And then Dell obviously gets the medal, as it said there, and Synopsis seem to be handing them out in this episode. Trigg's obviously already got one. And then I like it when Rodney's trying to sneak into the pictures there. The guy's taking a photo. <laughs> Rodney keeps sticking his head in. In the end, the talk's like, can you get out of the way, sir? And then even Dell's like, yeah, get out of the way. But I suppose, I mean, it cuts to the scene in the flat, and they, they're saying about, you know, Dell not help, uh, Rodney not helping. In fact, it, I think he's still in while they're in the council offices, but. Dale was like, well, you didn't really help. You were running away. And he's right. Roddy didn't really do anything, did he? No, he didn't. I'd say he gave chase and then just, like, bottled it and ran away. But why the guy chased him, I don't know. Like, the guy obviously knows he's been sort of, like, fingered for, like, a mugging or something. He'd just be like, right, he's running away. I'm just going to run off now and get away. But why he would chase Rodney, I don't know. Uh, I thought that as well. I mean, the amount of times I've seen this, and I always think, what was he trying to gain out of chasing Rodney? Because there's nothing for him to, you know, he's a mugger or whatever you want to call him. But... Rodney's got nothing to give him. So, yeah, you think he would have just thought, fuck this, I've got away and, and go a different way rather than chase Rodney. But obviously, it wouldn't have panned out the way it did if he hadn't chased Rodney. But Dale seems to blag old Councillor Murray pretty easily as well, doesn't he? I mean, I don't know how easy councillors are to, to blag and sort of say bribed her. But it said there in the synopsis that she offers Dale a favour, but it's Dale who confronts her first, isn't it? And says, can we have a word? Yeah, I mean, as we know, like most politicians are corrupt and everything. So apparently, obviously, that rang true here as well. But yeah, he just says, oh, can I have a word? And suddenly she gives him, he gets a check for five grand, which, you know, all right, if she can swing that for him. Granted, yeah, he did save him from being mugged. But I'm sure that wouldn't have been the easiest thing just to kind of like pull out of the hat, so to speak. No, not at all. And she also says, oh, the muggers are behind bars now. So, well, again, 25 years ago, maybe. But this day and age, they've got a slap on the wrist and that they've probably been it, you know, even though they've been caught red handed. But there we go. Um, I mean, it cuts to them in the flat then, doesn't it? And obviously they're saying they're, they're all reading the paper. And for some reason, Cassandra and Raquel don't seem to have noticed that Rodney's mentioned. And then Albert's like, oh, yeah, they have mentioned him here. It says, Mr. Trotter was aided and abetted in the capture of the robbers by his younger brother. Woo! Obviously playing from, the, again, John Sullivan using the same gag throughout the whole episode. But I don't know how Ra- uh, Raquel and Cassandra haven't noticed that. It just seems to be Albert who's noticed he's in the paper. Yeah, absolutely. And it's like, why would he be in the paper as Rooney? Like, surely they would have asked him for like, his actual name. They wouldn't have just looked at his wrist, you know, his like, chain and be like, oh, yeah, we'll take that as your name. They'd have been like, oh, what's your name, sir? To be like, Rodney. So, like, they wouldn't have even put it in there as Rooney. Exactly. But I mean, it is quite funny. And again, John Sullivan using the, the gag throughout the whole episode. And then Dell gets the champagne out. Any excuse, isn't it? 
just because he's got his medal, he's like, oh, get the champagne out. And this is when we obviously find out that Cassandra is pregnant, although it's given away in a sort of random thing because Rodney wasn't actually going to tell them that in the first place. But when Dale and Rodney do the old it's coming home thing and they start dancing about and everything, <laughs> Cassandra's face, she's like, oh, my God, and just gets out of the way. She's like properly freaked out by him, isn't she? Yeah, they go like completely ridiculous, don't they? And then I was just like, oh, it's um, a double celebration before you knew that um, Raquel, uh, sorry, uh, yeah, it's Raquel, um, no, not Raquel, sorry, Cassandra, get the names right, is pregnant. And he's like, oh, yeah, this is where I got the uh, check from Councillor Murray and stuff. And then they all kind of, they toast and that's where the episode ends. And again, like I mentioned at the start, for my money, that would have been a better ending than two or three of the ones that we've had previously, because it kind of ends with like, Rodney and Cassandra finally obviously getting ready to have a kid and everything and Dale coming into some money. So if that was the last episode, it would have been a better ending than what we've had for the last few. Yeah, it would have been, wouldn't it? Although we don't hear about the five grand again, I don't think. But she's Dale with Nick Codman's what he did with it. But Albert's got a good line as well, though, isn't he? When he finds out that Cassandra's pregnant, he's like, oh, I'm pleased for you, son. I know you've been through hell to get there. <laughs> like their faces like oh, yeah okay i mean rodney has obviously been as we've said been moaning about it but i wouldn't exactly say it'd be hell yeah yeah exactly that i'd just be you know a few uh tiresome nights more than anything else <laughs> yeah but all in all a really good episode and it sets up obviously what was supposed to be the final trilogy really really well so um yeah good start to um three classic episodes really yeah absolutely and i think this is some of the stuff that most people will probably remember most probably like a generational thing more than anything else but yeah this um this trilogy is really well known especially the batman and robin thing i think each of these episodes they have like one big moment in them each don't they although the episodes are great in general there's one big kind of standout part that kind of like brings them all together yeah yeah there really really is yeah but yeah solid all round really and a good christmas special absolutely yeah so that is our look at heroes and villains let us know what you think of this episode and obviously the, um, as our long-time listeners will know we're going in sequence so we will be doing the uh, subsequent rest of the trilogy in um, sequence so let us know what you think of this um, particular sort of like roundup more than anything else and um, how you think this kind of like segment of the the saga in general kind of came to a close because by the third one not getting too far ahead but I know it's like it's like a 50 50 mix some people think it should have ended there some people obviously are glad it went on longer, so it's going to be an interesting one to discuss. So any thoughts you have of these episodes, get in touch at the Hyperbaric Ghosts on Twitter and let us know. Indeedy, yeah. Um, yeah, I've got my thoughts on that one, but obviously we'll come to it when we get to it. Um, hopefully we'll be back on the weekly now, so you'll be a uh, modern men will be next week, I believe, Fred Roll. If I've got it right, I'm probably wrong. Yeah, yeah, I believe it is that one. Then it's our time on our hands, if our memory serves, but I'm probably wrong. Been wrong before. Usually am. <laughs> no, I, th- I think I think we're both right. Let, let's say we are anyway, and if we're wrong, then call us out on Twitter and call us idiots and say we don't know what we're on about, because um, we don't. <laughs> yeah, exactly that. So, um, as always, thank you very much for joining us, and uh, this is Bread Roll signing off. And for me, JT, I've just got one last thing to say. Not if we go through the back streets and the back alleys. The only people there are the crackheads and the winos. And let's face it, they see Batman and Robin every day of the week. No income tax, no VAT, no money back, no guarantee. Black or white, rich or poor, we'll cut prices and a straw.